Allow me to reintroduce myself. Now tuned into the greatest. What's up, everybody? This is Supreme Decisions, and welcome to another episode of Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast. Well, today I'm going to play another oldie but goodie that I did with Civil Alert Radio. And this time I had a co-host, and it was one of the brothers that I was with. And when I mean brothers, I mean this is a dude that I spent a lot of time with, and we did a lot of learning together. We exchanged ideas. He also represented his own interests. His name is Alicia Y. Israel. And with that, we spoke about jurisprudence. We also spoke about steris doctrine. And basically, again, two Latin terms. And we go into detail on a couple of other cases and we talk about how to implement and how to become effective at doing what we're doing so take a listen and i'll see you guys in the comment section and i'll also appreciate the downloads don't forget to donate and here's the episode peace health and guiding and welcome to silver alert rising 360 this is your host, Tanasha Kiama Joy L, broadcasting here live and direct on this June 2014, live and direct from North America, Tierra Estados Unidos, El Morica de Norte, the land in the furthest west, El Magrib El Aqsa, El Magribia, the other side of Africa, northwest of Northwest Amexum, Americana Septentrionale, Americana Occidentale, the land that's in the direction of the setting sun. I give thanks and praise and high honors to the universal supreme that allows us all to be in full life via the holy breath. Remember, you are in full life regardless of what database classifications of the Federal Directive Number 15, you are not black, people of color, or Negro. You are a more aboriginal indigenous descendant of the primogeniture peoples of the Americas and of the adjoining islands. I want to thank you so much for connecting in. And tonight... I have a, um, a good show lined up. We're going to address jurisprudence principles with a focus on corpus delicti. And present to address this as, long, uh, as well as to address a hot set of deceases will be Richard L. Bay and Brother Elishua Yahweh. Be sure to have your pens and paper ready because, as you know, when these brothers come forward, they always have tons and tons of keys they bring forward for further study. This show segment um, focuses on jurisprudence because when you start dealing with jurisprudence, you're dealing with the actual the theory and why and the foundational um, understanding of why a particular um, law applies and how it's to be implemented. I am going to pull from the Black's Law Dictionary, first edition, 
and just read a couple of definitions here before we take a brief pause before bringing the brothers on. When you, um, and I would like to let you all know that if you don't have um, of the first edition, you actually can go to um, blacks.worldfreemansociety.org. Again, that's blacks.worldfreemansociety.org, and you can actually pull the first as well as the second edition. The definition for jurisprudence reads, the philosophy of law or the science which treats of the principles of positive law in legal relations. The term is wrongfully applied to actual systems of law or to current views of law or to suggestions for its amendment but is, but is the name of a science. And remember, when we start dealing with science, we're for to know. Um, the science is a formal or analytical rather than a material one. It is the science of actual or positive law. It is wrongfully divided into general and particular or into philosophical and historical. It may therefore be defined as the formal science of positive law. And once we get to positive law, we're dealing with a law in the sense in which that term is employed in jurisprudence and it's sovereign political authority. It is thus distinguished not only from all rules, which like the principles of morality and the so-called laws of honor and of fashion are enforced by an indeterminate authority, but also enforced by a determinate authority, which is either on one hand superhuman, as in the divine, or on the other hand politically subordinate in order to emphasize the fact that sense of the term are thus authoritatively imposed, they are described as positive laws. So the positive laws would definitely be in tune with the divine laws of nature, whereas things that you would have those so-called um, black codes or the Negro acts and things of that nature would definitely be negative law because those laws were imposed to abrogate one's unalienable rights. With this selected, we are looking at the principle that for a crime to have been proven to occur, that there must be some body of damage or an actual, um, that they actually have some type of um, harm. So, as I said, you know, be sure to have your pens and your paper at hand. Before I bring the brothers on, I'm just going to take this brief break. Chime in at any time during the broadcast. You can dial 858-357-8450. Again, that's 858-357-50. And the chat room is open. Good evening, the chat. Thank you for joining in. Silver Alert Rising 360. Without any further delay, I'm going to bring on Brother Richard and Elishua. Peace, Hello. good evening, brothers, and welcome to How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Oh, it's good to be wonderful. Yes. Well, Peace, Elishua. I'm not on yet. <laughs> 
sorry. I'm doing wonderful. I second that motion. No, oh, yeah, you I hear that. <laughs> second that motion. I hear that. Well, thank you all so much for being present. And I know this is going to be uh, another informative and third eye opening segment. All right, I'll, so, I'll start off for tonight, if you don't mind. <laughs> no problem. Okay. Um, well, tonight was actually one of the ones that me and Ms. Natasha, we had spoke about, but it originated because of um, it was one that I felt that it, it's pretty much the foundation of where we need to start at because – We've, I've had a couple of calls regarding um, what is a crime and basically what my beliefs are. And just like I say on any other call, I'm not saying anything that is mostly my opinion. Everything that I'm saying to you, everything, go back, find it, read it, study it. It's not an opinion. This is actually written fact. And this is one of those that very personal to me because of the brother that's on the call with me. Because there were a lot of things that was done through our trial. But what this brother did and what how he explained it when he was on the stand to 12 people that had no idea what a crime was, was the reason I'm here today and not behind. And the simple thing is, is to take a guess or take somebody's word for this is a crime. And, Well, now you're going to not get it from me, but you're going to get some information that is very simple. And it's also part of something that you're going to hear a lot of people say, oh, that's dead. That doesn't mean anything. Um, Because it's based in Latin. It is called corpus delecti. And that means body of the crime. Basically, there are for elements of proof of a crime. And Ms. Natasha spoke on it, you know, briefly earlier. And one is the occurrence of loss or injury. That loss has to be in a sense of economic, and that's generally going to be in the form of a contract or some type of property damage or an injury to your personal being. The second one would be the criminal causation of that loss or injury. Now, to make it a criminal cause, there's this word that was used throughout as in intent. I have to intentionally do something to you or to your property for you to have that loss or for you to have that injury in order for it to be 
and then three is the identity of the defendant as the perpetrator of that crime. So you have to have the occurrence of loss, the intent for that loss, and you have to be able to finger at that is the person that created this entire situation. And courts need a legal basis to adjudicate any matter moving forward minus that basis equates the absence of judicial or authority. If there is no crime, there is what I'm trying to with the best word for that is is it draws me back to um have in our current system incarcerated the highest number per capita incarcerated beings for nonviolent offenses, which equates to money than any other country on the planet. Do we have not by far at all? There are countries that are triple our size that have a tenth of the number of people incarcerated that we do. And again, one of those things that what I just said, you have the Supreme Court case of Sira versus Cullen, 1973. S H E R A R versus. C-U-L-L-E-N, 1973, for a crime to exist, there must be an injured party. There can be no sanction or penalty imposed upon one because of exercise of constitutional rights. Anything outside of what I just said is civil. Now, I'm going to throw it over to my brother real quick because he's going to speak on it again because the start of this was from his testimony. There's a great grasp of this portion. And I'll take over a little bit again, at, you know, I guess towards the middle or end, and we'll both cap it off with questions and all that good stuff. All right. All right, and then everyone that may be tuning in and hearing, like, for the first time, um, please provide, uh, you know, cue up exactly where and exactly how the um, Elisha was testimony came into play and in reference to, like, the nature of the... Uh, Okay, Elisha, you want Because, as everybody knows, my brother Jermaine had an attorney. And myself and brother Alicia, we represented our own interests. Now, as part of what we were doing, as, um, I don't even know if you would call it trial strategy, um, but what we were doing was basically taking things, uh, a quote-unquote prosecution, 
and creating our own image for the jury. And with that, um, Brother Leishwa, his thing was get up there and just – my thing to him was just run off at the mouth. And it was <laughs> it was actually kind of funny because one of the things he did say was if I committed a crime in jail because I deserve to be there. And it actually tripped me out because I was trying to figure out what he was going into. And that's when he began the explanation for the corpus delecti. He was actually on the stand um, giving his portion of what what needed to be done and all that good stuff. Got it. And please provide the... Um Uh, which one? Ours or um for the um the ones that um what you're speaking of for your the case right now. Oh, sir versus. Oh no, I'm talking about the um your case where um you all you know provide the oh. testimony in the case that you want. Mm-hmm. It was the state versus um Alicia Israel, Richard Jenkins, and Jermaine. What, the state of Georgia? State, yeah, the state of Georgia. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And Elishua? Here. Shalom, shalom. Greetings, everyone. Greetings, Natasha. Glad to be back on your show again. I'm back home. We have taken a long journey. It's hot. The desert sand is all in my sandals. I got a dust the sand. And get it back into the swing of things. Um, I need to give all my honors and praise to my father, Yahweh, and to all of those who are listening to the show for the first time and those who know me. I am the priest of Leisha. I was with uh, Santasha many times on her show. We have done great shows, show after show after show. And she's a powerful queen. She gets these shows cranking and get these shows up and popping. Um I have been with some time now. We have uh, grown very close. He's just like a family, just like a, a, a biological brother. Uh, we can't, we met in Georgia years ago, and we began to exchange uh, powerful information uh, over the years and all the experiences that we had over the years, and we, you know, we came to the conclusion of what we needed to do to better ourselves. The thing uh, that I got into was I like state classes in Georgia and learned that, you know, I didn't want to get into that process because they, they really wasn't, the banks wasn't really lending people money. It was just basically everything was just on paper. It was just ink on paper. And I didn't know about um, uh, the different fictions and entities at that time like I do right now, but I knew that was something was wrong with the whole situation about, you know, me becoming a realtor. You know, I just had my morals and my ethics and, you know, it was my internal spirit. You know, just didn't let me do it. But um, when we began to do our adverse possession, we knew we was doing everything right until the T. Uh, we was making sure we crossed all our T's and dotted the I's. It was just um, they knew that we 
doing over the years uh, to us. The only thing they've been doing over years is they've been doing adverse possession themselves and claiming themselves as realtors, and uh, and they need to study that word realtors. And um, they do conveying property from one uh, entity to another entity, and they really don't have possession or the uh, uh, possession of these properties. So we began to do our adverse possession, and we did all our paperwork right, and we filed it right. There was no problems. Uh, Mr. John Melvin of the Cab County, he was an assistant DA at the time, wanted to challenge us about what we were doing. He tried to come up with a thing called the RICO. And everybody who don't know what RICO is, this racket to an influence, corrupt organization, uh, it falls under USC Title 18, Section 1950 through 1968. Now, there has not been a state court in the whole United States that ever adjudicated RICO. RICO is a federal code that's supposed to be only administrated by the federal administration. So by just that alone, I have enough information to show that the state cannot, no state within the United States can adjudicate RICO at all, period. I knew all about RICO because I am from Chicago where the RICO Act started at with Al Capone and them. And we all know if you go back and study RICO, that's where it started at with the mobsters. RICO was designed for mobsters and police officers. That's what it was designed. That time back in the 20s and the 30s when they were doing a whole lot of um, uh, 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 racketeering acts inside within the communities, the mafia would pay off the police officers. And that's why the RICO Act was designed for organizations. So anybody that's doing any racketeering influence and corrupt and organized, it would be those who are in some of these political parties. So mm. when you study RICO, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I was just agreeing. Go. Yeah. So if anybody, if, if, if when you begin to study the RICO Act, and like I said, it's on the USC Title 18, Section 1950 through 1968, you can really see who's doing the RICO Act. And, you know, we just have to wake up and become conscious and aware of and not let people scare you with these words. And that is the greatest thing that they're doing to the people in America of all nationalities is they're breathing fear inside of your mind to, to give you these acts because people don't know the law anymore. Case laws, they don't investigate, they don't research. So, therefore, you are able to be uh, uh, um, drugged into the fiery furnace and burned up, you know, or into the lion's den and ate up by the lions because you didn't know how to shut the lion's mouth. You did not know how to go in like Meshach, Shackrack, and Abednego. You know, Richard, be quiet. I know what you're going to tell me. That one ain't name. Be quiet. <laughs> so when when I got, I knew right then and there, Mr. John Melvin was using, he, they, they had my cell phone. They was calling all the people in my cell phone all across America, all the people I knew, and they was trying to find out information about me because I never had any type of – I don't have history. So Mr. John Melvin was calling people, called my family, and was asking them things about me. And they ended up calling my father uh, at the time when he was living, and they asked my father about me. My father was a, is a retired Chicago police officer who no, didn't know I knew a whole lot of law. I was raised with police officers, and my – cousin is a sheriff. So when they thought I didn't know the law, I really they really messed up the game. They didn't see me coming. So anyway, Mr. Melvin called my father 
John Melvin, when he's done with you, he's going to show you that you don't know law. And he told Mr. John Melvin that you got your license, excuse the language, from the shithouse of the basement. And that's the type of license Mr. Melvin has. He doesn't. 99% of the uh, prosecutors in these courts don't know the law. And a lot of FBI agents don't know the law. But when they questioned me in May the 2nd, I was demonstrating to them their own physical federal law. And they were like, well, you know more law. You know more than we do. So these, don't think that these people know the law because they do not know. They only know everyday procedures that they, they do to people because the masses of the people are not studying and they don't know the law. People and begin to get into and begin to navigate and govern yourself in your public affairs or your commercial affairs, you're going to be able to stand on your square. You're going to be able to do what Moses did, cast your rod to the ground and grounds. This is one of the words that they use in court. What grounds do you have? So you do what Moses did, cast your rod to the ground. Therefore, rod by definition, family, means to be able to correct yourself and your political status in a commercial affair govern yourself and stop allowing these people to dictate to you that you're breaking the law. There's no laws broken against any fiction at all. Anybody using the state or United States or any city, county, or any of those fictions is a violation a violation of their oath. They breached their uh, fiduciary duty. They violated the public trust law. All these things can be proven without a shadow of a doubt. All you have to do is study, get the case law to back up your law and arguments, and smash them. So, like Mr. Richardson, I hear you. When we got into that court, I said, what do you want me to say? He told me to run my mouth. I said, oh, I can easily do that. Mr. John Melvin began to question me about the first. his first words is, how or when did you become sovereign? And when he asked me that question, that's when I was able to bring him down into the middle of the valley of Jehoshaphat. And this is what you family members need to learn how to do. Bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is in the middle. I'm talking about a physical valley. I'm talking about in the center, in the midst of their mind, to be able to pierce their mind, just like David did Goliath. He put the stone in the forehead of Goliath and pierced his mind. Okay, but we'll get into that later. Elvin didn't know who he was dealing with. Now he does know who we are. So now he will be more careful of what he is talking about in these courtrooms. So he asked me when did I become sovereign. I told him since Genesis and Genesis chapter one verse twenty seven, when you read that scripture it'll tell you you look at the word dominion and the word dominion means to be sovereign. So he had to rephrase the question again. He's I, I jarred his his mind. When I jarred him with that question because he I was he had to rephrase the question again. I said, Oh, so I had to help the clown out. I had to say, oh, you mean to tell me when did I put you on notice to let you know that I'm not part of your fictional uh, corporation government? Oh, yeah. And I told him the date and everything. And so he, he couldn't beat him with that question. So this clown asked me again about another question about sovereignty, and I beat him down with some more scriptures. And then he tried to challenge me, and this is how you set people up. When you read the Torah family or the first Bible, you can beat all court systems. I guarantee you that. This is why I was able, that's why they sealed my case from the whole United States because that's what I use. I use the Bible. And like I told Santasha on the first time I talked on the show, I use the Bible. 
entwined it with the Constitution. I entwined it with the federal law, with some few case laws, and that's why it's sealed from you guys. And all of the attorneys is using my case law to beef up their cases because foreclosures and anything else they do in these courts is illegal. You need a corpus delecti in these cases. I don't care if it's civil or criminal. You have to have a corpus delecti. You have to produce an injured party, whether it's physical or financial. That's the bottom line. If you don't have a corpus delecti, you don't have a case. If you have an assessment, you don't have a period. So stop letting these people tell you about this traffic crap that you were speeding or, or any of this stuff. It's all fiction. You need a corpus delecti. You need to study the case laws that go with corpus delecti. What I told the jurors, I broke down corpus delecti to the jurors. I told them the definition of it and what it meant. And how it's supposed to be applied. At least you and your phone is law. Huh? Okay, I can hear you now. You mm-hmm, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the word corpus electi, which I I told the jurors about the word corpus electi, the meaning, where it came from, and it has, and you have to apply it in law. And then I use the case law, Shearer versus Cullen. When I kept repeating that throughout the whole trial, and the reason why I cross-examined every state witness to show the jurors that I never had a victim, that was never an injured party, that was never an affidavit or criminal complaint signed by the injured party on the penalty and perjury, that I had did anything to their property. There was never any crime done. So therefore, they held us with, a, they, that's called a malicious prosecution and a hate crime. So he was, they cannot beat you at all in any court case. You have to ask for the corpus electi. It's in the Constitution. It's in the Bible law. It's in. It's, it's just all through the law. So what I used on Mr. Melvin was Exodus 2, verse 9 through 15. And I told him that the, it strictly tells you the owner must come challenge you about his property. And it say nothing about a fiction. And didn't say nothing about you come in on the third half or behalf of somebody else. None of that. You, the Man, the creator of heaven and earth said the owner must come challenge you about the property, not some crazy uh, third-party intervener. But he couldn't beat that, so I shut him down with that. Then he said, okay, neighbor's landmark. I said, that was never a neighbor. I said, where are they? I said, throughout this whole trial, Mr. Melvin, where's your, where's your victims at? I said, you don't have one. And the jurors just looked at him, and he said, no further questions, because he was beat. And then I told him the last thing I sealed him up with, Chapter 11, verse 46 through 52. That's Luke chapter 46 through 52. And I told him, if you only knew what I knew about what what that what that is right there, I was able to use Luke 46 through 52 and break the keys of what he was doing through the indictment. All that stuff is a corp. All that stuff is 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 a uh, your indictment is nothing but a bill and your bill is nothing but a security and your security is sold on the stock market that's your money and we in and claim our money if you have if you have a previous click case and your case is not three years old you have a right to go back in and claim that money at that treasury window at that courthouse this is what we're not doing but that's something else we can talk about later but i'm just telling you about the must have a corpus electi. That's why Mr. Melvin lost. He could never produce an injured party, a victim. There was never anybody there to come and testify against me, Richard, or Jermaine at all. Nobody. 
purpose select I would be outlined within a discovery package. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you when you look up that's why you that's why uh when you get your that's why you request for your discovery. And you look in your in your discovery should be the warrant or the or the affidavit of, of, of criminal complaint from from the injured party. If there's no affidavit or criminal complaint from the injured party, you don't have a case. And this is what all of the people are getting locked up. They're not asking and they're not subpoenaing the injured party. Not the state. That's a tenth and eleventh amendment violation when you use the state as, as a as a plaintiff in any party. You can't use that at all. Bloop, get that out of here. It don't work. That's not an injured party. And can't come in behalf of the state. That's another violation that they're doing. And I got the, the codes and the case laws to back that up. Anytime uh, or anybody want to talk about that, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. You got to come in there, party. That's the bottom line. Corpus delecti. That's what it's about. Coming in there with that injured party. And if there's not an injured party there, you don't have a case. That's why they drug it out. That's why John Melvin lost, and he always loses. What people got to do is come in there with that corporate delecti. If they don't have a corporate delecti, you don't have a case. You can run all over that prosecutor. I don't care how long he's been been a prosecutor. He's been there 50 years. He got to have a corporate delecti. Speak. several things come to mind. Um, the first, the bank wouldn't come forward because they don't want to get caught up with lying on the stand about them being the lawful owners. And then, two, another thing that is coming to mind is um, when people are getting locked up um, when they have instituted, like, a common law name correction, and they may have not updated everything um, with the Social Security or the um, motor vehicles, and then arresting people, saying that they are um, under, I mean, because they, they, in their words, they say that they have a false identity, they're, or they're falsifying their identity, and they're locking people up because of that, dealing with the whole concept of locking people up because of non-payment of traffic um, tickets and as far as, like, non-payment of child support and things of that nature. So all of this is, like, connected and interlinked. All, yes, all that. Even in, even if even in child support cases, bring, the, the mother should be there, not the state. The state has nothing. You didn't sleep with the state. The state didn't produce no 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 baby with you. Bring in the mother and the mother and the father support out between themselves and come to an agreement on what they what that man and what that woman can afford to take care of that child. Not the state. When you have that state come in, again, that's a violation using the state as a plaintiff to adjudicate anything because child support is not a criminal matter. So civil matter means somebody's in there suing somebody or have a, a complaint against somebody else. You can't use the state to come in and make a complaint against somebody who you didn't have a child with. That is crazy. Another thing, too, and, and even though I know you had shared this previously on the show, I think it would be good to – highlight how even when the FBI had um, grabbed a actress to bring forth the so-called complaint, how she actually on them because she did not want to get busted for committing perjury on the stand. What happened again? Well, I'm just saying, once you say this, I would like for you to bring forward 
back to the whole concept of what you were saying, how there has to be an injured party, and they actually have to follow, I mean, a complaint, um, submit an affidavit that is signed underneath the penalty of perjury. So in this case, it, it's reminding me of the Crystal Caldwell. And people may not be familiar if they didn't hear the shows previously, but I would like for you to talk <laughs> about, like, how even when the FBI had actually got an actress to stage um, as if she was an actual victim, much bowed down underneath the pressure with knowing that she would get caught out there for committing perjury. Oh, yeah, yeah I love to tell her that. <laughs> oh, yes, I would love that. Well, what happened is, uh, family, and back in um, May of last year, around May the 1st and 2nd, Jermaine went in uh, about that same house, uh, that house that was quick claimed back in 2010. It was in foreclosure. Now, uh, these people came into the court May the 1st and told the judge that they had an assignment, and the judge asked them to produce assignment. These clowns said the assignment was inside of their car. The judge told them that, you mean to tell me, Ms. Krista Carwell, you and your attorney, and, and you don't have the assignment, it's one of the most important pieces to the puzzle, to, to you saying that you own this property? She said she had purchased the property April the 26th, which was that Friday. Now, I'm going to let you all hear it again. April 26th, it was a Friday that she was purchased this property that was in foreclosure 2012 of November. Now, how something is in foreclosure 2012 when it was in foreclosure 2010 and it never came out of foreclosure and we got the proof and the evidence? The bank was never, never sold her anything. So I, that's how I knew that she was planted there by the uh, uh, FBI or whoever, GBI, or whoever was involved. They all involved in it because all of them was in court that day, okay? It's not about the, the foreclosed property family. It's about the bonds and the securities and all of the money that they made off the case and made off of us. This is why they always running into the court, the feds and the GBI. Okay, it's about what they have stolen off. Of, period, and what they and I got the proof to show that they sold my social security number and all of my stuff on the stock market. If they listening, and I really don't care, I'll challenge any one of them in the court any day, any time, whenever they're ready. They can call me at four 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 eight four five. Call at me. But anyway, get back to what I was saying. May the second, the uh, May the second. When we went uh, to court, when Jermaine got arrested, the feds asked me, me about who he was hanging out with and blah, blah, blah. I told him I didn't know, but they said I would have to come to court. I got served by the Cab County Sheriff uh, trespass charge. I said, trespass charge? On what property? They told me that the property. I said, oh, y'all think y'all saw me on that property? So he served me. And when I told the feds that I, what I was there for, they said, we didn't even know you was here. I said, none of y'all knew I was here. That's how I know Miss Krista Caldwell has just told you all the lie and made a false report to the Cab County. That's why I knew I was going to get her real good if we went to trial. So I had to come back to court. And you know, you saw for yourself, you witnessed for yourself what happened May the 14th when I went to courtroom A. Out of there, didn't he? Boom, get out of here. Yeah. You ain't in my court. You saw for yourself. I got kicked out of that court and went into the second court. When I went into the second court, the lady couldn't call out my name because I had already sent my paperwork a day before to let them know 
going to present and represent that name in all capitalization. You don't have no permission to use my property. She couldn't. I had to give her permission. I had to stand up and let her know who I was and for her to, to continue to proceed when she had my paperwork right there in front of her. Now, you witness for yourself that Miss Krista Caldwell, she never wanted to talk to me. She kept strictly talking to Jermaine. She didn't want to talk to me because they had already geared her up about me or what I know because I had already just smashed them out with what I know. So I told Miss Krista Caldwell, listen up. I can prove to you that I wasn't on your property April the 26th when you supposed to bought the property when you never purchased the property. Okay, and we can prove that. Probably at 12 p.m. April the 26th when I was getting my securitization certification. And I was in class for eight straight hours. I want you to be able to prove that I was on your property. That's going to be impossible. Okay? You said I was there at 12 p.m. in the afternoon when I'm in class from now. Whoops. Wrong move. So that's why I told her when she, 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 you see what she said. Oh, I didn't see you. But your name is on the criminal trespass charge. You got planted there. I know Jody Flash else coerce you into trying to put me into saying that this is your property because you got mad because you never had any victims in the first case. So you're trying to get Miss Krista Caldwell to come in and say she was an injured party and then and mess around and get You heard what I told her. When I cross-examine you, Miss Krista Caldwell, I'm going to make sure I show you that you committed perjury under oath and you have lied. And I told her that. And what did she tell you? Oh, I didn't see you. The fans saw you. I said they didn't see me either. Not even they saw me. What she specifically happened? said that. She said, I didn't say that I saw you. The FBI told me. So she pretty much let the cat out the bag right there in front of everybody that she was selected and put up to do and carry out her in the matter. She was an mm-hmm. actress. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The lady in the checkerboard dress. Yep. That's what she was. She she thought somebody. That's why I demanded for a jury trial. I said I, I got y'all. I had did all my. Uh, they said I was there on that property at that time. I was waiting for them to send me my discovery packet. Man, the, the DA office didn't even want me. I went straight to the DA office and told them I applied for a uh, 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 jury trial. Let's get it on. Straight into Robert James office and, and gave him the paperwork. I demanded for a jury trial. Let's get this. Man, those people kicked me up out of there. Say get up out of here. We ain't even trying to see you no more. That's why they don't want to be bothered with me. That's why they show me on TV every time when somebody doing adverse possession. If they can link me with somebody, no, nah, whoops, I'm doing this a whole different way. I'm showing you that banks can't own property. That's why the feds don't bother me because they know I know that them banks can't own the properties. You don't have possession of the property, and you all have been doing a lot of That's why you see these certain getting sued and getting in trouble for uh, or hustling these homeowners in America out of their property. You there? Yes, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm still here. I'm so you up. have made I'm reference to... I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh-huh. No, I said I'm just over here, sitting over here prepping for... When I come back. <laughs> All right. So, Elijah, you had highlighted um, the case um, in regards to Schreer, um versus Cullen. Um, Richard had mentioned that as well. And what was like the backgrounder, like of that particular case? 
color mean that they when you read that case, you let they let you know that they had to come in and produce an injured party, a victim, or some type of financial or financial or or physical uh, damage to bring in. He never brought in any type of physical uh, party to say that you did some physically to them or financially injury to them. So that's how that case got the prestige that it get. You have to produce some type of victim, your party, someone. It's a body. You have to bring the body of evidence. He could never bring the body of evidence into the court, and that's why the individual lost that case, and that's why John Melvin lost that case. Okay? They can never produce. That's why they asked See, he was so stupid. He, he, he was so stupid, Sintasha. This clown it, it was talking about the $13 million mall. Whoops. You should have never said nothing about the mall because guess what? The jurors asked this clown, who owns the mall? A $13 million mall, the owner's not going to come forth and say anything about his $13 million mall with tenants in it. He said it himself. Oh, yeah, it's got tenants in there, and they were trying to collect money. And this and that. You mean to tell me a man or a woman that owns a $13 million mall, according to say, that's my mall, my $13 million mall? They knew right then what we did was lawful and right. Because why would the bank representatives not come forth and say, we own the we own the $13 million mall? You mean to tell me not one bank representative showed up? They knew better because I was waiting for them. So what are some other, like, scenarios that you have come across where people are being um, incarcerated without a corpus delicti? Well, you, you know, mentioned you got once a person mm-hmm. get Go ahead, Rich. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, <laughs> well, just just to understand, because um, sometimes, you know, I'm a numbers guy. You know, because the numbers don't lie. They don't care about my opinion or your opinion. All they care about are the numbers. Well, when you have one in six have been incarcerated, and five out of those six that have gone, quote, unquote, to prison or spent more than 90 days in a jail of some sort in your population, that is violent. Basically, where there is no, um, as we call it, and because you know what, let, let me back up. One of the things we hear most often is Miranda versus Arizona. You get your Miranda warrant, and they love to use the word you had a right to an attorney. Well, what most people don't understand is how Miranda actually applies. Mm-hmm. Miranda is actually to inform you that you do have constitutional rights. One of the things that's in your constitutional right is your Sixth Amendment right to confront witnesses against you. Now, one of those that belong in there is a Supreme Court case that my brother also made while he was on the stand. Um, we're not going to let it be an insignificant statement because the United States versus Lovasco, 1977, there must be a competent firsthand witness basically a there has to be a real person making the complaint and see that and that's one of the words that kills them because not only do you have to have a real first-hand witness making a complaint they have to bring the evidence to court 
Corporations are paper and cannot testify. Manifestly, such statements cannot be properly considered by us in disposition of a case. Now, with that being said, if I have to confront somebody and that somebody's there, I don't even know why I'm in court. And if you look at the prosecutors, the ones, the, the attorneys that they tell you to go through, right? If you look at the numbers, a good prosecutor wins 30% of his trial. Last time I checked, the only time 30% is good is in baseball. So that means I'm going to look at the other side of the numbers. So that means I have a 70% chance of going home if I don't take it. And the funny part about it was in our trial, the magic number was 40. The day we were in trial, the like, what was it, 10 seconds before trial began, he offered more deal. 15 or 20 do 15. And what most people don't understand is, okay, that was 20 years. But what you got to understand, that was 20 years for this RICO, and that was 20 years for a non-existent conspiracy to commit RICO. And just like we had, we spoke about corpus delicti, even in those statutes that are void, and that's an act, the Void from Vagueness Act, one, they use the word and intent. If you go through those, because if there is no intent, there is no crime. That goes right back to corpus delecta. Now, again, we also have other things where can't bring a third-party claim, just like he spoke about the prosecutor wants to be the the state of Georgia versus Richard Jenkins, Alicia Israel, and Jermaine Gibson. During our trial, referred to as defendants, we never referred to the prosecutor as anything other than John Melvin, because that's what it was. It wasn't a prosecutor that was against us. It was and the reason why that was brought up was because um Detective Godwin, who wrote the original warrants for our arrest, notice what I just said. He wrote the original warrants for our arrest. He not by one, not by two judges, not by three, but three district attorneys prior to John Melvin and two court judges, you cannot bring charges against them. You find an owner. Why? Because you can't make a complaint against him. Only someone with the interest in those properties can make a complaint against him. And if the bank is a corporation that cannot testify or get, there has to be United States versus Lavasco. There must be a competent firsthand witness against me that not only complains but brings evidence before the court because of another little case, Lee versus Pagliari, 
I can't even. I'm going to spell it. P-R-I-N-S-E-Y versus P-A-G-L-I-A-R-O, 1964. The plaintiff cannot admit evidence into the court. He is either an attorney or a witness. Statements of counsel in brief or in argument are not facts before the court and therefore insufficient for a motion to dismiss for some Where there are no dispositions, admissions, or affidavits, the court has no facts to rely on for a summary determination. And the, and then we're going to go one one more to it. It's a Donnelly versus, or I'm also spell that one, D-O-N-E. N E L L Y D versus D E C H R I S T O O R O nineteen seventy four. The prosecutor is not a witness and should not be permitted to add to the record either by subtle or gross improprieties. Those who experience the full thrust of the power of government when levied against them know that the only prescription protection the citizen has is in the requirement of a fair trial and that conduct did not violate a specific specific constitutional provision misconduct must so infect the trial with unfairness as to make the resulting conviction a denial of now, what is the reason they're going through the motions? The main reason is money. And the reason why they're able to continue to grow their jails, their attitudes, and all this other foolishness is because we as a collective are allowing them to dumb us down and force us to not want more and study and look. because the funniest thing is they have made it more accessible to us and they keep it in our face but most of us have no idea what it is we're doing when we're looking at it they want us to take steps that are emotional rather than being logical because once you have this and you understand how it applies there is no reason to ever argue for anybody when you're discussing matters that deal in law because law is not an emotional thing. It's, again, just like the numbers. It does not care how you feel about it. It is itself because this um, Stairs Doctrine, which is basically things, again, it's Latin, one of those dead language things that you're going to be told does not exist. Which means things that have been decided. They cannot be changed. That is why you look at why you don't use cases prior to 1932. Because it happened very significant right along that time. Now, you use those cases after that time, and you use specific instances, and you break them down to the point of understanding 
why can the attorney not do that? It, because anything the attorney says, because he wasn't there, is hearsay. Hearsay is only admissible in excited utterances. Remain silent. Shut up. Because the one thing I have learned is if you ask questions, they don't know the answers or they won't give them to you. But the one question you do that I love to ask whenever I have one of them clowns in front of me that wants to post check chest out is, am I free to leave? And how they answer that question determines if I go again, they know now that I have an idea what they can and can't do. And even with going through that, as they speak to me, they understand that I don't really want to get into this fight. Because even today, because it, it actually happened today, I explained to my brother before because it trips me out. Because if you go back and you read some of the articles that was written about me, and they spoke about the tag that I had. They spoke about how what they were going to do if they saw me in this conveyance with this tag. And they spoke about how what they were going to do because my name changed and all this other foolishness. Like um, Sister Santasha was speaking about how they're locking brothers and sisters up because they're changing their names and they're not going and doing certain things. Well, it's funny because I'm in, they've actually trained these officers on how to deal with people in a proper manner. Do they do it all the time? No. But just like today, I'm in my grandmother's conveyance. Where I, was I arrested at? My grandmother's house. And when I say they followed the letter of the law to, I mean, it was, it was all, it was, one of the most pleasant arrests I ever had in my life. It was, and then when I was detained, I shouldn't even call it an arrest, because when I was detained to go see the judge because of this warrant, I was not handcuffed, I was not fingerprinted, and they did not take any pictures of me. I wanted to make sure I was comfortable until the Cab County came and got me. And even today, police officer pulls up on my grandmother's van, runs the tag on my grandmother's van, then all of a sudden he starts to drop back. He dropped back more than 30 yards. And I tell, I tell my brother, I said, it's funny, because when I'm in her conveyance and she's in her conveyance, whenever that happens, somebody rides up on me and mine, that's the And most people have no idea why they do that. And one of the challenges I'm going to leave for everybody tonight, even though we're speaking about corporate selecti, is going to figuring out why they refer to police cars as mm. and who's actually over those departments that are in, that we are calling police officers. But the main thing is understand corporate selecti. A criminal charge should not be supported unless the corpus delecti is established. Now, we know what are the three things that establish that, which is, has to be somebody that you can point to. 
somebody that has an actual loss and somebody that created that loss with intent. That is a crime. Now, one must have the essence of a crime before one can have a conviction. That's where the words come from. Because they have to have enough evidence that you can paint a big enough picture that this person actually caused this loss, and they intended to cause this loss when it happened. And seeing, if you look up the word intent, why you have things like, oh, that's an accident. Because there was a loss that was created, but it was no intent on that loss. There are still liabilities, but in order for it to be criminal, be intent. And all facts relating to the commission of a particular crime and the fact that the crime was committed by some human agent. And the big one, a confession used to establish corpus delecti. There are also several hundred court cases that support corpus delecti. And even with understanding why I use the word void for vagueness when I refer to state statutes, um, is I think it's Merker is M E R K Y. There are two things that have to be established in order for a state to have something considered constitutional in which they can quote unquote the executive body which also have to be in place for the corpus electa. The greatest thing about that is none of our state statutes have that. And the beautiful part about that is anybody's ever able to get their hands on our transcript. Mr. Melvin states that on three occasions because I brought it up. Brother Alicia brought it up. Why? Because we can ask those type questions because we're not bound to ABA. We're not members of an organization that is labeled as a communist organization. We are able to go against, quote, unquote, the bank when we're doing so. And you also have to understand that we're not on these calls just for, you know, just to be out here. It's to help give us a foundation protecting not only ourselves, not only our brothers and sisters and our grandmothers and our children, but it's to also protect our community, start a foothold for building from that protection. Because I think I say this every time, something for those that just want to get on and get a, get out of something or not or not be responsible for things. This is for those that want to become better than who they are today. And this is we're offering opportunities to not only for that protection of oneself, but to help that person in that base of foundation in getting to a better Hell, I'm trying to get to a better. I know my brother Leishwood because he speaks to me every day, and he helps me get to that better Richard. I hope that I'm helping him get to a little piece of a better Leishwood. Because the entire time that I've known this brother, 
the level of growth that I've attained is also is, is mind-blowing because every day I make it a point to go and read something. Every day I make it a point to enjoy this day more than I did yesterday. I eat better. I do my yoga. I'm also getting into Qigong because it's not just about the law and knowing the law, but it's about getting to a better physical being, period. Mm-hmm. This is one of the foundations of that. And I'm actually finished right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you for sharing that. Um what you were saying in regards to, you know, like not being bound, um, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, is the being bound, like, to the ABA, is that one of the reasons why when there are certain issues that come um, forward in regards to economics, um, it could be connected to taxation or parking tickets or speaking tickets, whatever have you, child support, that in a lot of cases, they convert those into actual criminal prison-like issues, when, and, and even when the attorneys, because in essence, with incarcerating someone based upon an economic issue, that's more connected to civil than criminal. Now, I'm going to give you a simple answer. Yes, it's a contract. Yes, it's about The simple answer is when you go into the Amazon, and you have a bunch of piranha that's sitting in the water. You don't see them eating other piranhas. Mm. And that's exactly mm. what you have. Look at it. Piranhas don't eat other piranhas. Mm. And that's the simple answer. So, yes, that's exactly it. It's, it's really that simple, yes. Mm. Also, too, if y'all can... Um provide insight in regards to the whole concept of the real party and interest. Because I noticed, like, um, in the civil um, procedure, um, Rule 17 highlights that, uh, like a parallel to that particular rule in the criminal procedure. What's that? As far as, like, the real party and interest. Because I noticed that you had mentioned um, several um, case pre- to the um, prosecutor or the attorneys actually being third parties mm-hmm. that were actually providing um, information based on hearsay. So, like, in the case of, like, Rule 17, how they have no party of interest in regards to the civil side of things, underneath the criminal procedure, is there a parallel to that? Okay. Basically, um, with the corpus electi, and it goes into standing. In order for me to bring any procedure against you, whether it be civil or criminal, there has to be constitutional requirements. Because remember, we talked about three elements that Now, the parallel that you're speaking of is standing. In order for anybody to bring anything against you, there has to be an injury, in fact, directly related to the plaintiff or the accused. 
Basically, it will be an invasion of a legally protected interest, which is concrete and particular. Now, wouldn't that sound, that sounds like a contract, right? Mm-hmm. Or an actual injury or image, which means that there has to be something that has happened or there was an intent for something to happen. Right? That's still, again, corpus delecta. There has to be a casual connection between the injury of the complaint of. Because remember, in corporate delecta, we spoke about the pretty much the same section, number two. Now, I don't want to. Criminal causation of that loss or injury. Now, we go to standing, there has to be a casual connection between the injured and the conduct complained of. Pretty much sounds the same, right? Right. Okay, number three, I'm going to read the corpus delecti first. The identity of the defendant as the perpetrator of the crime. Now we go into standing. There must be a likelihood that the injury will be redressed in several decision for the plaintiff because of the conduct of the complained of. Sounds pretty much the same, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we also talked about the existence of a crime, there must be an injured party. The requirements of standing, however, has the core component derived directly from the Constitution. A plaintiff must allege fairly traceable to the defendant, allegedly wrongful conduct, and likely to be redressed by relief, by the request of relief. And that's Allen versus Wright, 1984. That's exactly Sir versus McCullough. I mean, first Sir versus Cullen, 1973. Now, we got 11 years later, Allen versus Wright saying the exact same thing, but we're talking about, in essence, two different sides of that same coin. Allen versus Wright deals with the standing. Sir versus Cullen deals with the crime, but we're speaking mm-hmm. about the same exact thing because both of them have to have the corpus delecta. Courts need a legal matter moving forward, minus that basis equates the absence of judicial power or the authority. All facts relating to the commission of a particular crime that the crime was committed by some human agent. One must have the essence of a crime before one could have a conviction. A criminal charge should not be supported unless the corpus delecti is established. Now, again, the requirement of standing, however, has a core component derived directly from the Constitution. A plaintiff must allege personal injury, fairly traceable to the defendant's alleged wrongful conduct. The wrongful conduct is the intent. And that is where everything is lying at. Because, again, we're saying the same thing, but we're talking, in essence, about two separate at the same time. Because just as corpus delecta have three separate things that have to be present, so does standing. 
And if the plaintiff has to bring that to it, I can't come in as a third party and allege that something has happened to John if I wasn't there to witness it. And then I can't bring John's case. I have to bring John's case. That sounds like grown man business to me. You have to be able to handle your own affairs. Because if I can't handle them for you, uh, you got to be able to handle them on your And that's why one of the things Brother Alicia spoke about was the verified complaint because Officer um, Godwin couldn't write a complaint to get a warrant. Officer Godwin wasn't personally injured. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and again, it's not just again opening up saying stuff because it sounds good because it sounds great to me. The problem is is when you go and look at these court cases, I'm not reading something that I just pulled out my butt. I actually have this written down because I actually have a case. I've read the summaries. I've read them cover to cover. I didn't pull out a one phrase out the whole thing. I actually got the whole decision. These decisions that we that we're looking up. These are the decisions that I'm speaking about. I'm glad to bring that up because in certain cases, like if someone is like those one-liners. Sometimes mm-hmm. those are not really in alignment with the nature of the case. And I don't know exactly. if that was just by happenstance that people did that, to throw people off track or what, but I'm I'm glad that you highlighted that about actually reading the decision. Right. And and I'm like you and that and it was actually one something I was reading one day that actually like, well, hold on, let me go back. Cause I think me and Brother Alicia, we were looking at something and then we saw an excerpt from a case. Hmm. And I told him, I said, did you see this? And he was like, yeah. And when we both went back and read the entire case, we looked at each other like, okay, that is not what the decision said, because that, that had, actually had nothing to do with the case. Exactly. It was written in the complaint. Um, so I think that's what kind of moved us to getting more in-depth, because even like I, cause I always, uh, you know, I, I love – I love working with women, and the most successful attorneys on the planet come out of Harvard Law. Harvard Law offers, um, which you call those, they have Harvard Law Review that's online, and it's free every month. You can download it. You can get it and go back as far as you like. They don't care. You can either go case-specific, or you can go amendment-specific. You can go situation-specific. Guess what? You can download it. It's free. They don't care. Now, in this, you're going to get um, 8 to 11 pages on particular issues. Now, when you're getting this 8 to 11 pages, you're going to get probably about 10 to 15 court cases. Guess what? Now you've got a week worth of reading from one from one eight-page document because it's going to give you direction to start asking questions because one of the things that we were giving in 
the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Right now, we've been programmed to go with the who and the what. Nobody cares about the why or the how. And I'm today to figure out the when. Because it may seem odd, but you also you want to you want to look for those cases that have been, as they call them, revised. Because they'll give you two sides of it. Because just like with the Roe versus Wade case, on the exact same day there was another case here in Georgia, that very same issue. That was regarded, but the Roe versus Wade is the more commonly used one. Same exact decision, similar, very similar cases, but you would use those two cases for types of situations. Um, because Roe versus Wade dealt with, well, it's more widely used because it it can deal with how. Everyone deals with your body. Well, whereas the case in Georgia deals specifically with females in certain situations, whereas they try to glorify the Roe versus Wade decision, decision, but it's actually a decision for everybody on the use of how their body is used. Because it's actually been used in a lot of... Um, mental health cases because it actually astonished me because I've read a few mental health cases and because of Roe versus Wade, if there is someone just, you know, FYI, if someone is mentally incompetent, they have the right to refuse medication. Mm. And that might clear up a couple of the answers, you know, from people that have seen things on TV and like, oh, well, that sounds crazy. And Or you look at the decision that a judge has made about someone that's, you know, pretty much, you know, you you know for a fact, you know, because you've seen them do some outlandish stuff on TV or whatever, that they are mentally not here and allow, allow things them to make certain decisions. And that'll later make sense for you. But the main thing is understanding how these cases work and why and when to use them. That's one of the things I just wanted to get out. All right. And I'm just going to open up the lines here. There were a couple of callers that have been holding. Let's see here. Caller 269, welcome to Silver Alert Rising. Thank you so much for your patience and holding. Please state your name where you're calling from and your question or comment. Yes, this is Kyle Yahweh. I just want to chime in on what to say. Y'all know who I am. And first of all, I'd like to say, you know, Shalom Queen, Shalom Alaikum, Shalom family out there, and Shalom family out there that stand up and um, do what it takes to get the remedy and hang in there until it gets to the promised land. I'd like to thank uh, Elisha, and I'd like to thank uh, also you, Brother Richard, and also Brother uh, Jermaine. 
Patient Tasha put on the show and put on the um, picture on the computer, I fought the law and I won. So I'd like to congratulate y'all brothers for being able to stand up in the battlefield with all that uh, ugly pressure. And again, again, y'all can truly say I fought the law and I won. And y'all did win. <laughs> so I'd like to thank that. I can just chime in on a little bit too about the corpus delecti. Now, the corpus delecti, it it it, it says there must be an injured party, and it says and damage of property. And really, even if you got an injured party, according to their own law, it says and mm-hmm. damage of. Property. So you got to have both of those, and we know that they don't like to listen to the law. That's why they like to use the legal system. And, and another thing that's uh, involved in the corpus delecti, it falls under two categories. It's going to be civil or criminal. Now, for even in my situation, the judge told me he was going to find me in contempt of court. And I told him, wait a minute. I said civil or criminal. And he says criminal. <laughs> and I said, well, when you were there, at least I said, well, where's the interparty? He said, well, it's civil. And I said, well, I like to invoke the UCC. <laughs> he said, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, why not? He says, UCC, I went back and studied the last time you was here, and UCC is contract law. I said, contract in Latin? Boom. Man, Say it man, again, brother. Yep. Civil means contract in Latin. So in other words, I told him, well, then producer, the wedding signature that I agreed to this contract, know they want to weave around and thinking well, I'm going to talk about later on but there's some things on the horizon you think the Pope then issued an order to shut some things down but I'm not going to talk about that right now this that's going to come later the chain so, so don't be surprised <laughs> when people are starting to switch over to the article three course but that's another situation and again these people are no more and hooligans and thugs and people use the law to combat the legal system. When you do win using the law, that's really a smokescreen because there's a legal side of the judicial system, which is then there's a lawful side of the judicial system. And people wonder why they go into court. And they use the Constitution and they quote the law, and they don't get remedies as much as they want to. And the reason get remedy of that nature is because you are a U.S. citizen. U.S. citizen and a voter is bound under the legislative body. Well, the Constitution said y'all, and they may say you're right. You are a U.S. citizen, and the Constitution is for the three branches of government to keep each other in place from running each other over. They claim it's to protect the people. But the legislative branch use the Constitution to checkmate each other. Notice, when you go into court to use the Constitution, it don't work too well. But when the sheriff get his butt in trouble, when he used the Constitution or an attorney to form, all of a sudden they want to pay attention. The Constitution is also a contract that has been put in place. It's not a magic bullet, but the Constitution, even the, even the organic Constitution, has been put in place. 
executive branch from running over the legislative, the legislative from running over the judicial, the judicial from running over the executive, and the judicial from running over the legislative to keep the government in place. But the way you use the Constitution is you have to claim to be judiciary to the Constitution, and you really can't sue. And I've had a lot of people and a lot of judges tell them you can't use the Constitution in my courtroom. And what they're basically telling you is that you are not executive, legislative, or judicial. You can't sue under the Constitution. You have to complain. So are you speaking of a case of state level? No, oh, that's state and uh, federal, any level of what they call the, um, the jurisprudence or the Anglo-Saxon statutory or what you may call the code. That's on all levels. Now, what they may do is put up a smoke screen and let, like, just like Rodney King got. I'm here, Sintosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what he was saying in regards to the, um, about the Constitution, because I think that um, probably it's not a place to assume that everybody in the audience is classified as a U.S. citizen. So, I mean, Elishua and um, Richard, from your experiences, what have you, because I know um, you get quite a bit of calls from all over the country. So even for people that are within the constitutional fold, um, being that they are um, nationals, uh, especially with a focus on um, Moorish nationals, what are some of the that you have gotten and you received in regards to um, court cases and dealings, Richard? Well, it's actually been a mix because um, Brother Alicia can, one of the things I've, I constantly say, um, and you actually heard me say it, is the programming that we're all experienced or kind of subjected is, and because we're trained to not follow directions for the most part. Mm-hmm. And those that aren't following the directions or they're asking for help and they're not, I guess, what you would for what it is because they've been programmed or been subjected to the fears, those are the ones that are having the issues. Um, that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the ones that are having success are the ones that are like, you know what, I've worked, I've done this, I haven't done anything wrong. You know what, what happens, happens. You know? <laughs> and what's happening is they have finding the basically they're getting closer to the results that they were looking for initially. Mm-hmm. You know, Um be that, you know, winning a court case or actually being able to um, because those are they, they use a lot of lot of words that we're not readily familiar with and they use these words to scare us because we they're not teaching us how to deal with them. So that's that's it's like I say it's just a mixture, you know. But mostly, mostly, 
but not all. <laughs> hmm. I see. And I'm Alicia, what has been some of your feedback um, that you've gotten from different people? It's like, girl, <clears throat> Brother Richard said, Brother Kyle said, love them both. <clears throat> we get calls from all over the country with people with doing different situations, dealing with the Constitution, uh, uh, their, 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 their Constitution. A lot of people understand how to use just different case laws. It's, it's just been different for me when people call me from uh, around the country. But my thing is I always go in and, you know, since they are in a commercial venue, uh, you don't have to go in there and use the Constitution because you're going into a commercial venue. Mm-hmm until you want to get into the district court, and that's when you want to drag them from state court into the federal court. Everybody that's going into these state courts, you got to learn how to remove it from state court into federal court because the only thing that they're doing inside these state courts is administrating your estate, your name, your assessed trust, your your account, and they're withdrawing the credit off of it and then making you pay it out of your pocket as well. And the reason why they make you pay out of your pocket because they're making you liable for the taxes for that particular case, instead of you claiming uh, uh, the, your your taxes on those tax forms and asking them to give you those tax forms so they'll be held liable for those tax forms and dismiss you from that because you really you're not part of like Kaya said since you're not part of the Constitution beneficiary, then you have no business being, then you're not part of their administration. So for them to ticket you or do anything within their administration is all for misrepresentation and the RICO Act. You're not part of the administration. So me money because, again, it goes back to corporate delecti. You are not an injured party, and you must be a physical and property damage. See, it all goes back to corporate delecti. It doesn't matter what it is. Once you understand, know how to apply it, I don't care what case it is. Even in a murder case, you have to come in and they have to produce. Somebody got to bring evidence. Family member had to bring evidence for that individual and come on their behalf. You got to come in. You got to have a corporate delecti. You have to bring the body of evidence. And these uh, people that's in these courtrooms, commercial courtrooms, do not have the authority to be adjudicating any case. That's why you go into a federal always saying going to a federal court to deal with them under federal violation, federal questioning, because you're not part of the city, county, state, or the federal administration. You're supposed to only bring their workers inside of that district court because they have a fiduciary duty to do what? Uphold the public trust. You work for the public. So since you breach public trust, I have to take you in and sue you in your individual capacity. Mm. Well, that's the first thing that people do as opposed to wasting time with these municipal and these state-level courts. Yes. Yep, come on out of there and get yourself inside that federal court, learn the civil procedure, learn the civil procedure of uh, uh, federal rules of rules of excuse me, and like you said, uh, uh, the early, the first question that Richard had answered is the name of the real party of interest must present themselves in court. Again, this is one of the things that John Melvin made a great mistake on. As the plaintiff, you can't do that. 
the name of the real party of interest must present themselves in court. Go read Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, Rule 17. You have to come in with that. Federal Rules of Evidence, 1001. That's why to know his stuff. When we do go into court with him, he better know. Cause I'm gonna eat him up. He couldn't beat me in your. You couldn't beat me in your venue. You're not gonna beat me in federal court at all. Period. Trust me. You're not gonna be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but before we close out, um, caller five four zero seven two zero. Welcome to Civil Alert Rising. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or comment. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm calling from Virginia, and I want to get your opinion on something. But both of the Richard. Um, if I'm seeking a declaratory judgment against the city of Richmond for um, a traffic issue that I eventually won, and I'm going back and and basically for the time and effort uh, that I had to put into the case, should I do that declaratory judgment in the uh, circuit court, or should I the, the state circuit? Court? Should I take it to uh, the state uh, United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia, which is the federal court, to get that decision? And the decision that I'm, I'm, I'm looking to receive is, it's again compensation. I'm that I deserve the, comp, the, the, the money for the time and, and labor I had to put into the case, which again I eventually won. Okay, well, bias, you know, I'm always going to federal court. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I'd be the greatest person to ask in that okay. in that um, thought. But um, me, I always go into federal court, and if you're going in, it's going to gonna have a little basis of what it was that you won and you saying you was um, and how you went in as far as the um were you the private that one where that allows you to collect those fees or um it's a couple other little things that come in but for the most part it is what's easiest for you at this point considering you already what level of justice are you looking for? Okay. I'm just looking to get so, compensated for my my time and, and, and labor that I had to put into the case, um, again, which I eventually won. And, and I did go in, I mean, my argument for 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 deserving the fee was that, um, you know, I went in as a national. I went under in under the um, Organization Immunities Act, I mean, Immunities Act, as well as the International mm-hmm. Organization Immunities. And I said, if 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 they have if they can give the attorney if they allow for attorney to be compensated for the same time and effort that they do a case, then they have to extend that same right and privilege to me because they they a state or government can't give to one set of individuals. And bar another set of individuals from those same rights, privileges, and immunities under like circumstances. So that's how I went into it. Yeah, because that's an equal protection. Correct, correct. 
Yeah, and again, if you're going to argue anything, just like you said, constitutionally, you have to take it in the federal court, and that would be, and like I say, I'm biased anyway. That's where I always go. That's my okay. Well, I, I well, was reading in the uh, um, the Virginia Code where if there if if the matter is a federal in uh, federal issue in nature, then it it can be heard in the state court so that you let them know that the rules of decision have to be you have to use the federal rules of decision, not the state. Yeah, Pilot versus pros. So. Um, I didn't know if it would make a difference whether or not I go to a federal or state because, again, I did point out the fact that, look, it was a federal issue they, they tried to charge me under. Um, I beat them because it didn't apply to me, and all the time I had to waste to prove it to them when they denied me twice. And, again, when I got to the circuit court, the uh, Commonwealth attorney just decided to dismiss the case without even arguing at all. So, anyway, that's all I had to say. Well, well, you still did not claim your, even though you won the case, did you spend any money? Spend money for mailings, uh, my travel no, time? I'm not, no, I'm talking about did you did you have to pay them? Did you have to pay any fines or fees or anything of that nature? No, no, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay, so now they they even though they let you because you came in there with the information that you did and you pretty much knew what you needed to know, you still got to go on the backside, what I call the backside or the private side, and go in and hire you a broker to your case number and the QCN number that attaches to that case so you can claim that money that they made off of you on that side. That's the side you guys are not getting. Even though they had, you say, okay, I won that case. Ooh, ooh, okay. Now the inside trading that they did on, with your with your property, just like Martha Stewart did, that inside trading, that's why she did time. See, these, these magistrates, these judges are violating the SEC law because they're not licensed brokers to be handled the information in the first place. Again, I don't like state court because they're administrating your state. So if you want to get that justice, that's when you go into that, drag them into that federal court and hit them with that federal law, that security exchange law, hit them with that. They stole your identity. It was under TDC, threat, duress, and coercion. And you can just take them through the ringer, bro. Trust me. If you go in there, they use your information. You didn't hire the judge. You didn't hire no attorney to work on your behalf. So nobody had anybody to act to act on your behalf to be handling any to handle your your state or any of your affairs. And you can prove that because there's only three people on the birth certificate, you, moms and your pops. Everybody else is is a, is a stranger. When you use my information with identity theft. And now you could definitely find it on the stock market. Okay. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. You're welcome, brother. But I'll the 11:41 mark. Um, so feel free to provide your closing remarks and your contact information. All right. Well, this is the foundation. Use it, and 
grow from this and then, you know, find something from Harvard Law Review, Yale um, Law Journal, Nail. Use these sites. Use these um, schools as a basis for your learning. They want you to do that. They put it out there for that. Go back and read through these cases because learning the law is what will set you free in essence. And not only get your physical mind in place, but working on your your bodies, you know, your and your 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 vibrations and, and the way you're eating. Let's let's all live to be hundred and fifty. That's when we start getting in. But but um, feel free to email me, um, T-H-E-G-O-C-P at gmail.com. The quick acronym is the Ghost of Christmas Pass at gmail.com. And also that's a great little phrase for you to look up, the Ghost of Christmas Pass, and you'll probably figure out um, why I use that. T H E G O C P at G and Miss and Tasha, I enjoyed tonight, brother. Love you. Appreciate you as usual. All right, Rich, Love thank you. you. Hey. Yes, Richie done summed it up. Um, my thing is Get more into your spiritual man, your internal self, your internal self. Uh, learn about yourself. Master your thoughts. It's all about your thought process and what people are doing to you inside of these uh, fictional uh, courtrooms, these matrix courtrooms. You definitely have to know control your mind and control your thoughts when you do you'll be able to control those courts and this is the main thing that me and Richard and Jermaine did we stayed calm the whole time that we was in there because we knew that they would try to attack us on the emotional level because it's all, a lot of people we very emotional people because we've seen that what the wrong has been done to us we lose our mind stay focused get into yourself get into your eternal man calm your mind down and you'll be able to see a whole lot of things and this is what it was all about your mind down and bring yourself into a focus and when you do that you will be able to defeat anybody the main three scriptures that I always leave everybody with when I do any type of talk show I always leave you with Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 on the laws therein day and night that thou shall have prosperous and you will have good success and the second one that I always leave you with is Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen. You want to study to show yourself be a workman. Yes, you need to work, man, and not be ashamed dividing the word of truth. And final and important is Revelation chapter one verse three. Family, blessed are those who read. So you need to meditate. You need to study to read to be able to handle everything that you're doing in life. And remember, Satan deceived the whole world. Everybody has been fooled. Revelation 12, verse 9. Y'all, we've every last one of you. Since I-
joy again. It felt good to be back home. I got the shower, took a shower, got the sand off my feet. I'm cleaning my sandals, polishing them up for the next show. And I'll see you again, Richard. I'll see what you put on that Mayshack Shack. This is a real name. You know what? I'm going to talk Get off this show. I'm going to talk to you. Yes, Yahweh bless every last one of you all. And I love you all. And continue to listen to the greatest show on earth, Silver Alert. We are alert on all Silver Matters. That's why I share this called the Silver Alert. Contract Alert. Part of the contracts. Shalom Alaikum. All right. Shalom so much. All right, peace and love, everyone. And this concludes another episode of Silver Alert Rising. And remember, the goal of Silver Alert is to be informed, engaging, and third eye opening. Be sure to have some sweet dreams and to keep on tapping into the Akashic Record. We'll be connecting with you on Tuesday night, 9.30 p.m. EST. Peace. The shaking collapse.